When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, Mother's Day is just around the corner, so make sure to visit Alumni Hall either in-store here in the Classic City inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center or online to get your mother the perfect gift your mom will probably already love you forever. I mean, at least we would like to believe that, right? But, you know, let's not risk it. Let's go ahead and seal the deal with the perfect Mother's Day gift from Alumni Hall. The selection is unmatched. And I know most of you guys out there don't really spend a ton of time looking in the ladies section. But I kind of do because whenever I make a trip, I always feel guilty. I have this kind of complex where whenever I get something for myself at Alumni Hall, which is fairly often, I feel like I feel guilty that I'm not getting my wife something. So I always come out with a little something for her. And usually she's like, why did you buy that? I didn't need that. And it's like, well, I just, I, I don't feel like it's right for me to buy myself something and not get you something. So I spent a lot of time in their ladies section, probably honestly more time than I spend in, in the guys section. And what they have for the girls guys, honestly, I, th- I think might be even better than what they have for the guys. There's a ton of great stuff, a ton of great options. So make sure to check that out today for the mom in your life. Or for a lot of you, probably pick up something for your wife and just say it was from your kids. But whether it's your mom, your wife, make the women in your life happy with a gift from Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. And how about some football talk today, guys? I mean, some real, legit football talk. We talk football every single episode, essentially, on this podcast year round, but you know, again, the off season, you don't have games to break down. So sometimes you're looking at storylines and you're trying to dig through the information you're getting from spring practice, which we've done for the past month or so. But I don't know about you guys. I'm in the mood for some real legit football talk today. And you know what? I'm here alone today. I'm running this ship. So let's do it. So I know a lot of you guys are like me, and this time of year, you are just jonesing for any football that you can get, like even the slightest taste of college football. So like me, I know a lot of you have been spending your weekends, the past couple weekends, watching a bunch of spring games, or in the case of Florida, on a random Thursday night, like, okay, cool, good for you, Florida. That's not sad, I promise. 
But I know a lot of you have been watching these spring games because I've gotten a lot of questions from a ton of you out there about my thoughts on these spring games. And I I heard all those questions. I promise you I was not ignoring you. I was kind of just waiting until all the spring games had been played. And after this past weekend, that is indeed the case. The last of those SEC spring games have come to an end. And now that means I figure it's time to give you my thoughts on those games. Now, a little caveat here. There's a lot of spring games that have been played in the SEC over the past couple of weeks. I have not had a chance to watch every single one of them yet. I will over the next couple of weeks, but I haven't had a chance to watch every one of them yet. That's coming. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my thoughts on the spring games that I have watched And the games that I have watched are the ones you are probably most interested to get my thoughts on anyway. Basically, the ones I have not watched yet, we're talking about the Vanderbilts, the Missouris, the Arkansas, the Mississippi States, like those teams in the SEC. I haven't watched those games yet. Honestly, none of those teams are all that high profile, and I don't really think that moves the needle for you guys. I don't think those are the teams you're really thinking about when you're asking for my thoughts on the various spring games that have been played over the past couple of weeks. I figured you guys are more concerned about the Bamas and the Floridas and the Tennessees, the LSUs, like those teams, right? Like those are the more high profile teams that actually, well, not in Florida's case, they're not going to contend for anything, but it's those higher profile teams, the, the actual potentially contending teams in the SEC this year that I know that you guys are more interested in. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I do want to start with the Florida Gators, who again, I guess they were trying to get a night all to their own when they could get more of an audience watching their spring game. I guess, I don't know. I can't imagine that was more convenient for their fans playing a Thursday night as opposed to a Saturday afternoon. So I don't think it was about attendance. I would imagine it was more about trying to find an exclusive TV window, even though it wasn't shown on like actual ESPN or ESPN2. It was on SEC Network Plus, but I guess that was the only game on at that time, so they figured they would get more eyeballs on that game. I think another factor is that plus recruiting, because all these teams are vying to get these top recruits to their campus for their spring game, and when a lot of these games are scheduled on the same Saturday, Obviously, the recruits cannot be on two campuses at the same time. So there's always this kind of battle over who's going to get which recruit to their campus for their spring game. So at this point, with where Florida is as a program right now, I could certainly imagine that being a factor in their decision to move to Thursday. Because look, they're not going to be able to really compete with the Georgias and Alabamas of the world for these recruits, these top recruits. When we want a guy to come to our campus for a spring game, when Alabama wants wants a top guy to come to their campus for a spring game, and Florida would also want them that same Saturday, they're not going to come to Florida. The vast majority of them are not going to go to Florida. They're going to come to Georgia and come to Alabama because those are sexier, more successful programs. So I think a lot of it might actually have been Billy Napier waving the white flag saying, yeah, look, guys, I admit, I know we can't actually compete with the George and Alabamas of the world in terms of like getting these recruits on campus when we're going head to head with those guys and their spring games. So I guess we're just going to have to move our spring game. I think that probably played a pretty big role in it as well. But whatever their reasoning, their game was played on a Thursday night. And offensively, oh man, what's the right word for what I saw watching that spring game? I think the nicest thing I can say, and I'm usually not in the business of saying nice things about Florida, but you know, it's the offseason, so let's try to let's try to put some positive vibes out there in the world. I think the nicest thing I can say about that game was it was um, uninspiring offensively. That, that's about as nice as I can get for the Florida Gators. That's being very generous. In particular, it was the quarterback play, in my estimation, 
that was quite uninspiring. Now, to hear Florida fans try to spin it, which of course is what they're going to do because when you're in the situation that their program is right now, that's all you can do. You can only spin things because you're not actually winning football games. You don't actually have any sort of success on the field. While at the same time, you're watching your top rival win back-to-back national championships and climb all the way to the top of the college ball landscape. So what can you do? You try to rationalize. That's a defense mechanism. That's what they're doing. And to hear Florida fans try to rationalize it, You hear them say something along the lines of, oh, you know, Graham Mertz, who, by the way, that's the transfer they got from Wisconsin, who was an absolute joke at Wisconsin. I mean, basically got ran out of town. Their fan base was certainly not heartbroken to see that guy go after what they've seen at that quarterback position for the past couple of years up in Madison. But he's down in Florida now, and to hear Florida fans try to spin it, it's like, oh, you know, well, Mertz's numbers were just as good as Carson Beck's. Um, Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, but there's, there's also this thing called context. And Carson Beck essentially exclusively repped with the first team offense against the first team defense in the first half of our game. Yeah, he had like a series or maybe two, at least one, maybe two against the second team defense in the second half. But he only attempted, I think, four passes in the second half. He did the vast majority of his work and his damage against the first team defense in the first half of our spring game. Whereas Graham Mertz was was a mix. Like he played with the ones, he played with the twos, and he, he got about equal amount of work with the ones as he did with the two. So he was not always going against Florida's number one defense, first off. And second off, even when he was going against Florida's number one defense, let's not kid ourselves. The Georgia number one defense versus the Florida first team defense. Huh, which one's going to give their quarterback more of a challenge? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the two-time defending national championship defense? Probably, I would say. Let's just go on a limb and say that. But you guys know you can't reason with crazy. That's just uh, that's how college ball goes, right? But it was a dreadful start for the Florida quarterbacks. Graham Mertz and Jack Miller, who is the former transfer from Ohio State, who started their bowl game against Oregon State last year in the Las Vegas Bowl and was absolutely horrific. Those are the two guys vying to be Florida's starting quarterback this year. And they uh, started out 5 of 12 to open the game. They were sacked a, a combined eight times. Now, certainly that's not all on the quarterbacks. We had to uh, certainly allow that the offensive line plays a role in that. And there were some starters out for, for their starting offensive line. They had to move some pieces around. So you got to put some context in there. It cuts both ways. So the offensive line certainly played a role in that. But if you actually watched the game as I did, I know a lot of you did, you also saw Jack Miller and Graham Mertz both sit there and have a hard time consistently going through their progressions, holding on to the ball far too long and just generally not looking very comfortable sitting there in the pocket. Now, as the game progressed, they did recover to a degree, but again, very uninspiring. They weren't a complete disaster. I don't want to act as though they didn't do anything well. They had some moments. Both guys had some moments. Mert certainly had more moments than Miller. Not a complete disaster, but let's not kid ourselves, guys. I did not see anything from either one of those quarterbacks, Mertz or Miller, to make myself or any other Georgia fan lose even a wink of sleep. There was not one thing, and I mean it guys, not one thing that I saw from either of those quarterbacks to give me even the slightest bit of concern going into the 2023 season when it comes to Georgia playing Florida, you know, in late October. And you guys listen to this podcast, you know what I'm like during this season. I worry as a rule, as a general rule. It's a principle for me. I just, I'm worried all the time about every little thing. Now, Kirby has certainly mitigated that to a degree, and he's kind of brought me back down to earth and helped me find my zen. But I'm still like at my core when it comes to Georgia football. 
I, I worry about everything, but not with this Florida quarterback situation. Not one tiny bit. Now against their number one defense, so both quarterbacks for Florida, Mertz and Miller, against their top defense combined to go 15 to 25 for 238 yards passing. Again, not a complete disaster. I mean, decent-ish, I guess, against an average at best defense. That comes out to 60% completion percentage and 9.5 yards per attempt. You know, again, not a complete disaster. Solid, fine, okay, whatever. But compare that to Carson Beck, who, by the way, again, all the Florida fans are saying, well, our, our guys were just as good as Carson Beck. Okay, no, 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 buddy. They, they weren't, okay? Carson went 13 of 18 for 210 yards against our number one defense, which, again, vastly superior to the first team defense of Florida. And that came out to 72% and 11 and a half yards per attempt. One touchdown. Would have been a second touchdown that, that first long pass, in the, I think the first drive, to Brock Bowers, where Bowers was down at, what, like the one and a half yard line? But again, 13 of 18, 210 yards, 72% completion, 11.5 yards per attempt. Any way you cut it, I don't care how Florida fans want to spin it, Beck was vastly superior to anything that Florida tried out there in that Thursday night spring game. Those are just facts, guys. Like any any objective fan, and look, I know I run a Georgia podcast, so maybe you don't want to call me objective. That's fine. I try to be, but hey, you know, I, I am a Georgia guy. I'll own that. But if you asked an Ohio State fan, if you asked a West Virginia fan who watched both those games, he said, okay, which quarterback was, was better? I mean, anyone that knows anything about football is going to clearly say Carson Beck. It's not even it's not even close, guys. It was simply not. But Florida fans, of course, you know, again, got to rationalize. You got to feel better about yourself. Got to got to build up hope some way, somehow. I will give Florida this, though. I, I do like their running back room. I think they have some playmakers at running back. I think Trevor Etienne, you know, the brother of Travis Etienne from Clemson for all those years, he was a freshman for them last year. That guy's really good, man. Like he's he's a pretty dynamic player in the backfield. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but he's thick enough to be able to run between the tackles effectively. He's also a major threat with his, with the ball in his hands in space. He's a, he's a really good pass catching option out of the backfield. He's a really good football player for them. And then there's a the guy that came over with with some belt Billy from Louisiana last year at the running back position, Montreal Johnson, who started for the most of last season. He's a bigger guy, not as much of like a dynamic playmaker as Etienne. A more of a between the tackles type guy, but uh, he's he's a guy that does have some ability to, to hit some big plays, and he's a tough physical runner. I like that combination of Etienne and Montreal Johnson. They have a freshman who I thought did some good things in that game, Treyon Webb. And if that name does sound familiar to you, that there is a reason behind that because he was once upon a time committed to the Georgia Bulldogs, ended up decommitting, and ends up going to Florida. That was one of those deals where we put a lot of our eggs in the Justice Haynes basket. And obviously, we looked at him a little bit later. That did not end up working out like we all thought it would. He ends up going to Alabama and Trent Webb ends up, you know, getting the cold shoulder to a degree and ends up at Florida. And he did some good things. He's a good back. I don't know if he's a game changer as a freshman, but he's a good solid option for, for them in the, in the backfield. And I think they have a really good running back room. I think that's the strength of their offense. Problem for them, though, is they have no playmakers to be found right now at wide receiver, at least none that I was able to identify. And that goes back to last year. That was very similar to, to what they were facing last year. Last year, they had one of the more erratic quarterbacks in all the country who some way, somehow is going to be drafted in the first round of this NFL draft. But when you have a quarterback like that and you don't really have a ton of great playmaking options around him, it's a recipe for a 6-6 six and six season, which is exactly what happened. Now, this year, you do not have a first-round draft pick at quarterback. As erratic as Anthony Richardson was, at least he had the ability to make plays with his legs. He had some dynamic ability. And he, he could throw the ball occasionally, like he would have this these like 
random moments of lucidity where it's like, okay, like, oh, now I see the skill set, but he, he couldn't put it together in any sort of consistent manner. And that's why they end up going six and six, at least a big part of why they end up going six and six. But this year, you still don't have any any answers at wide receiver. You don't have any dynamic alpha number one wide receivers to work with right now, at least knowing that I've been able to identify. Maybe somebody steps up during the summer and fall camp, but right now, I don't know who those guys are going to be. And then you take a step back, at least from like a physical talent standpoint at quarterback, and the guy, Graham Mertz, that's probably going to be your number one option to replace that first round draft pick, threw for just over 2,100 yards last year and averaged 7.5 yards per attempt, threw 10 interceptions, threw 21 interceptions over the past two seasons combined. A guy who didn't even break the 60% completion percentage barrier over the past two seasons, that's the guy that's supposed to upgrade your quarterback position with the same situation at wide receiver? I don't know, man. I don't know. I know Florida fans are going to try to spin it and and try to find some sort of positivity and try to rationalize it some way, shape, and form because I guess that's what you got to do to keep your sanity. But us us people looking from the outside in are are looking at it saying, guys, you're not going to be any better on offense. And also, you're losing a lot of your best players in the offensive line. I know a lot of those guys were not, the guys that are going to replace them this year weren't playing on, on that Thursday night spring game. But we know for a fact they are losing Osiris Torrance, who was their best offensive lineman a year ago. He's probably going to be a first-round draft pick. Almost certainly, almost all these mock drafts have him as a first-round draft pick. He'll probably be the first Florida player taken. Richardson's kind of dropped down the draft boards a little bit, but he'll still probably be taken in the first round. But you lose your best offensive lineman, who, by the way, was a transfer from Louisiana. So what does I say about Florida's offensive line last year, that their best offensive line was a guy they brought over from a G5 school? And you haven't been recruiting at a high level for a couple of years now, and you think you're just going to plug and play? Now, I know the Florida fans, again, to rationalize and say, well, well George's losing both their tackles, and, and they're going to be fine, so why can't we be fine too? Because you're not Georgia. Because you don't recruit at that level. We can plug and play. When we lose a, a, a Warren McClendon, we have an Amarius Mims, a five-star prospect to plug in there who got some starting, starting experience last year. When we lose a Broderick Jones, you have an Ernest Green, a, a borderline five-star, high four-star prospect from the state of California. You have an Austin Blasky who's been fighting his ass off for a couple years who's going to be in that rotation as well. We can do that. We can plug and play because we recruit at an elite level year in and year out. Florida has fallen off the map when it comes to recruiting. They simply are not in a position to just plug and play when they lose first-round talents just not where they are right now. Sorry, not sorry, Florida fans. That's just who you are. That's where you are. And you're going to have to live with that right now. So offensively, it's strange. There's probably going to be more consistency at quarterback. I'll give them that. I think they'll probably have some more stability there. And you're not going to have like the the highs and lows that kind of just be this this steady simmering mediocrity. And I don't know if that's better than what Anthony Richardson gave them. Because Anthony Richardson did have like those random moments of brilliance, but then he also had the WTF moments more than a couple times a game. Like, oh, I don't know, throwing Hail Marys out the back of the end zone. Rule number one of Hail Marys, keep the ball in play. So maybe there's a world where they have more stability there. But again, that stability is the personification of mediocrity. So I don't, I just don't I don't know how they're going to be better offensively because they don't have any any sort of dynamism at the quarterback position or the wide receiver position. The passing game, I just I don't see it for them this year. Running game, I do think could be solid uh, with with the backs they have. But the problem is going to be is like if you cannot pose a threat throwing the football, teams are going to be able to load up against the run and they're going to be able to take those those dynamic running backs 
out of the game. And that's going to neutralize the best part of, of their offense, the strength of their offense. So I think their offense is in a lot of trouble this year. Defensively, they brought in a bunch of transfers. They lost, you know, uh, their most talented players off that defense last year. You lose Javon Dexter, your best defensive lineman. You lose Ventrell Miller, your best linebacker. You lose Amari Bernie. You lose both safeties. They're losing a lot of that defense. So what do they do? Well, they haven't been recruiting very well, right? It's what I told you a few minutes ago. They can't plug and play. They're not in position to do that right now and really be at any sort of competitive level. So they had to hit the transfer portal and they had to hit it hard. So they have a bunch of transfers and they th- those guys look solid-ish in a spring game setting. And guys, I, I should have said this at the outset. These are spring games, right? Like I said with our spring game, by by rule, we always overreact to these things because it's all that we have in terms of college football that we can actually watch between January and September. And I fully recognize that these are these are glorified scrimmages. That's what they are. They're very controlled, and everyone is apt to overreact to everything that they see. And I'm probably guilty of that myself. But again, I still think there are some. There's plenty of things that you can take away from spring games in terms of. Okay, who are the playmakers? Like, do you have guys that look like they can make plays for you this year, whether that's offensively or defensively? And that's really what I'm looking at when I'm watching spring games. Like, do you have guys that look the part? And I'm not looking at stats for the most part. Quarterbacks, to a degree, the stats can give you a little bit more insight. But, you know, running backs, receivers, it's not so much about stats. That's great. Like, Mekhi Muse had a huge game, right? Mekhi Muse, as we talked about last week, is he going to be a big part of our offense this year? No, guys, probably not, right? So it's not so much about the stats. It's about, okay, what do you look like out there? Do you look like you are a guy that can contribute? Do you look like you're a guy that can be a big-time playmaker for this team? And I didn't see those guys for Florida, especially the wide receiver position. I didn't see him at the quarterback position. And I'm not sure that I saw a ton of difference makers out there defensively. So to wrap up Florida, let's wrap it up here real quick. Let me give you my big takeaway after giving you all those details and all those thoughts. My big takeaway from watching the Florida Spring game a couple weeks ago is that I saw absolutely nothing to make me believe that the Gators are any closer to challenging us for the SEC East and will probably be the final year of the SEC East. I just I don't I don't see anything to lead me to believe that they're going to be a legitimate challenger for the SEC East crown. In fact, I think this team, I already kind of thought this coming into the spring game, and I was I tried to watch it with an open mind and see, okay, are there some guys out there that I was discounting that can step up and, and be big time playmakers for them this year? I, I really didn't have I really didn't find those guys. I had a hard time finding those guys. So I'm gonna stick with, with what my thoughts were coming into the spring game, kind of confirm for me. I think that this Florida football team is really going to struggle to get to 500 this year, guys. I mean, they were 6-6 six and six in the regular season last year. I think they're going to struggle to get to six wins this year. I think six wins, seven wins might be the absolute ceiling, and, that, and that's if a lot of things go their way. And I know to some of you that that might sound a little crazy, like, dude, seriously, are you just being a homer? I mean, guys, look at their schedule. They open the season at Utah. Yeah, they beat Utah at home last year to open the season, but this is a different story. It's on the road, no Anthony Richardson. You go into the mountains a couple different time zones over. I don't see how they win that football game. So I got that as a loss. Tennessee at home. Yeah, it's at home, which helps. But Tennessee's a more talented team. They're a better coach team right now. They're deeper into their coach's tenure, so the program is more established. So I would right now give Tennessee the edge in that game. At Kentucky, I don't think they're winning that game. We'll get to it a lot more as the offseason progresses. I think Kentucky's going to be pretty damn good this year, guys. I think they might be our, our number one contender for the ACC East this year, and that includes Tennessee. I think that's a loss. Um, at South Carolina, mm, man, right now I would say 
that's a loss. That, that could be a tough spot for, for Florida to play in. I mean, williams Bryce can be a tough stadium. So what is that already? That's four losses right now. Georgia and Jacksonville, loss. And then, so that's five right there. And then you you got a four-game stretch in the season. you got Arkansas at home, which I would right now give to Florida, but that's certainly not a done deal. It's not a gimme game. At LSU, that is a loss. That's six losses right there. At Missouri, I think Missouri will be improved this year. I guess... I'll, even even if I gave that to Florida right now, that's already six losses, and then you have Florida State at the end of the year. Yes, that's in Gainesville, but Florida State should be significantly better than Florida this year. That's a five and seven season. And sure, there are a couple of those games that could go the other way, and Florida could win. It could be an upset. They could beat Tennessee at home. I mean, I recognize that. They could beat Kentucky on the road. They could beat South Carolina on the road. But they could also lose Arkansas at home. They could also lose at Missouri. So that cuts both ways. I think this is a... I'm serious, guys. I think this is a 6-6 six and six at best team. I felt that way coming into their spring game, and I feel very much the same way leaving their spring game. All right, guys, let's move along here, and let's get to a couple of spring games that were played this past weekend. Of course, Alabama's annual A-Day took place on Saturday, and look, guys, Bama is, is very talented. That has been the case essentially since Nick Saban arrived in Tuscaloosa, at least once he got his first real recruiting class in there, and he hasn't really looked back. I am not here to tell you that I think Alabama is going to be a four or five loss team. They're going to completely fall off the map. No, I'm not here to tell you that. Alabama is a very talented football team. They're one of the two to three most talented teams in the country. When you look at the totality of their roster, they continue to recruit at a very high level. Have, of course, have a ton of respect for Nick Saban. But what I saw from this Alabama team, specifically the Alabama offense, is that right now, while their roster in totality is one of the two, three, four most talented rosters in the country, they are lacking answers and lacking talent at some of the most important positions on their roster. Specifically, the quarterback position, which you guys know, you hear me say all the time, I firmly believe is by far the most important position on any football team. If you got a quarterback, you can you can contend. If you don't, you got no chance. Doesn't matter how good the talent is around you. Right now, after watching their spring game, I am certainly not convinced that Alabama has an answer at quarterback. I don't think they have an answer there. And making it even more difficult on the quarterback, I don't know who their difference makers are at wide receiver. Think about these dynamic Alabama teams like Saban 2.0, right? When he reinvented the program, he brought in Lane Kiffin to kind of change their offense, to update their offense, to modernize that offense. Saban got tired of watching the Oklahomas and the Utahs and the Auburns of the world beat Alabama using these newfangled offensive schemes that he had disdained for originally, but finally got tired of losing those teams Alabama shouldn't have lost to from a talent standpoint and said, all right, screw it. You guys want to do that? If this is where you want to take football, well, we can play that game too, and we can play that game with far more talented players than you can. So once Saban pivoted to that offense and started to use those talented players that he had access to, the other programs didn't have access to, and put them into these new offensive schemes to maximize their abilities, that changed the game for Alabama. And all of a sudden, Bama was able to consistently attract the most dynamic receivers in the country coming out of high school. And you had a succession of them, guys. Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver. When's the last time you heard that, right? Then you've got Jalen Waddell, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, to maybe a slightly lesser degree, but still a really talented football player in his own right, the receiver position. And now you've got 
Jermaine Burton, okay, solid, good talent, but he's not Devontae Smith, as I told you all last offseason, and Bama fans called me a hater. He's not that type of receiver. He's a good player. He's not that. He's not a difference maker. At least he has not been to this point in his career. Okay, so if it's not him, is it Ja'Cory Brooks? Again, Ja'Cory Brooks is, to this point in his career, very similar to Jermaine Burton in that he's a good, talented receiver who can make some solid plays with him, but he is not the Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, Jerry, Judy, Amari Cooper type difference maker, even the Jamison Williams type difference maker. He is not that. He has not shown that to this point in his career. Isaiah Bonds, a guy I got to see a lot of in high school out of Buford High School, really good player. And he had, he had some moments as a freshman last year, and maybe he can become that guy this year. But I didn't see anything from him last year that would suggest to me he's ready to make that kind of leap this season. Kobe Prentice, no, get out of here with that. And they lose Latu, they're tied in. So do they have an answer there? So when you look at this Alabama offense, because their defense has is, is been good, guys. Even once Kirby's left, it's still been a good defense. But we all know, we can say this with a straight face, their defense took a step back once Kirby Smart left. Jeremy Pruitt did a solid job with them. Pete Golding was not Kirby Smart. And look, nobody is, okay? So it's hard to hold that against them. But their defense took a noticeable step back under Pete Golding. Yes, still one of the best defenses in the country because they got so much talent to work with. But the production didn't really match the talent at their disposal. Make no mistake about it. These Alabama teams, these the best Alabama teams over the past five, six, seven years when they've won national championships, those teams were led by dynamic offenses. And that's simply, I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Now, the question becomes, is their defense ready to take enough of a step forward to get back to the closer, at least, to those classic Alabama-style defenses to compensate for less playmaking ability on offense, specifically at the quarterback position? That, that's going to become a big question, but let, let's dive a little bit more into the quarterbacks. I know that's that's the hot-button topic when you talk about Alabama. You know, it's, it's Jalen Milrow, who did start in place of Bryce Young in Texas A&M last year at home, a game that they came precariously close to losing. And you got Ty Simpson, the redshirt freshman, who was a, a top two to three quarterback, depending on what recruiting service you look at, coming out of high school a couple years ago. He was classified as a dual threat guy, and he can move a little bit, but he's not really like a dynamic runner. But if you look at Milrow, this is a guy last year, when you saw him play, he had to come in, I think it was against Arkansas when, when Bryce Young, yeah, it was against Arkansas when Bryce Young initially got hurt. He had to come in the second half of that game and looked okay, looked solid. And then against AM. Mm, man, uh, again, almost lost that game. But what you saw from Milrow, Milrow on Saturday was much the same as you saw last year when he got opportunities to play. He is a a threat as a runner. Like He is dynamic, a playmaker when he runs the football. But I know it sounds simplistic and, and almost cliche in a way, but he is right now at this stage in his development as a quarterback, I'm not saying he can't grow into a good quarterback because he does have tools, but right now he's more or less a running back trying to play quarterback. And that's fine if you have a ton of talent around you that you can, you can distribute the ball to. And they are talented. Again, it's all relative when you're talking about Alabama. But this is a team that has national championship aspirations. And I don't know if you can win a national championship with Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson at quarterback. At least based off what I saw at A Day. And going back to last year with Milrow, it's not just this one small sample size of Milrow. We saw a, we got a game and a half from him last year, and you see what you saw at A Day. You're looking for some sort of improvement. I didn't see that improvement as a passer. I didn't see this guy consistently going through progressions. I did not see him feel comfortable in the pocket. What I saw is a lot of what you saw from Anthony Richardson. When his first read was not there, what did he do? 
he tucked it and ran the football. And it's hard to blame the guy for that because that is his strength right now. That is what he does best. That's where he's dynamic and he has to understand that. So sure, why not use your legs? But if you are going to win a national championship, you have got to be able to throw the football with more consistency. You can be a great a great runner, a dynamic athlete at the quarterback position, but to win a championship, that will not be enough because you're going to play against defenses like, oh, I don't know, the Georgia defense that can shut that down if you are one-dimensional. You've got to be able to threaten defenses with your arm. I mean, honestly, right now, guys, Jalen Milrow right now and what I saw from him last year, is he really all that different than Robbie Ashford at Auburn? Really, like Robbie Ashford, much like Milrow, at least last year, we'll see what he can do this year with a new coaching staff with Hugh Freeze, whose offense is, is traditionally very quarterback friendly. It's a different different type of offense. Not going to put as much on the quarterback, a lot more RPO type stuff. But you guys saw us play Auburn last year. You saw Robbie Ashford in action. That dude couldn't go through progressions to save his freaking life. Super talented, like big arm, very, very athletic. You can say the exact same things about Jalen Milrow. Big arm, very athletic, very toolsy guy but has no clue how to play that position right now. And that was exactly what Robbie Ashford was last year for, for Auburn. And how did that work for Auburn? Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Alabama is going to go 5-7 and seven because they have far more talent up and down their roster than Auburn did last year. So they're not going to bottom out to that degree. But I also don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that Alabama might have two and, and maybe even outside chance of three losses on their schedule this year if they cannot find a way to get more consistent play from the quarterback position. And right now, I don't know where that's coming from. I know everybody likes to make fun of Texas, like Texas is back, right? Well, is it a guarantee if they get that kind of quarterback play, the kind of quarterback play that we saw on Saturday during A-Day, if they get that kind of play, if that's what they have, week two, it's not like they have much time to warm up against Texas. I know it's at home. It's, it's at Brian Denny. Texas got a lot of talent, guys. I, I know they haven't done much of that talent in, in quite some time. I don't know if that's a guaranteed win with the quarterback situation. I mean, guys, they, they should have lost to Texas last year. I know it was on the road, but that was with Bryce Young. And that was also with Texas' starting quarterback going out in the first half of that game. I do not think that's a guaranteed win. At Texas A&M, I know A&M fell apart last year. It's still a really talented team. That is one of the, the largest environments, road environments for, for a road team to play in in all of college football. I do believe a will be better with Bobby Petrino at the helm calling the plays offensively, taking that away from Jimbo Fisher. I do think that was a big problem for them last year. They had culture problems as well. I don't know if the culture problems have been fixed. They had saw a lot of guys transfer out. Maybe that helped to a degree. I don't know. They'll be better at the quarterback position with Connor, Connor Wegman going into year two. Got some starting experience at the tail end of last year. And their offense was better when he finally got a little bit of playing time. Now he goes into year two, full offseason as the guy. Got a new play caller who's had... A lot of success offensively wherever he's been. I think AM could be better. Guys, they almost beat Alabama last year with the same quarterback, with Jalen Milrow playing quarterback in Tuscaloosa. You're telling me they can't beat them this year if Jalen Milrow is starting quarterback again, this time in College Station? Of course they could. I'm not saying it's going to happen right now. I've got a little bit more time to think about that, it, but I certainly don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. You got Tennessee at home. That's a massive revenge game. I do think Alabama is better than Tennessee. I would like to think Alabama could win that game, but again, I don't think it's crazy to say Tennessee might have a shot to get Bama for the second year in a row if they don't get better quarterback play. LSU comes into Tuscaloosa. They got lucky there because uh, if this game was in Baton Rouge, like I would chalk it up as a loss right now. Getting it in Tuscaloosa certainly helps. I think LSU is a better football team. That's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes with their spring game. At Kentucky, tricky. Tricky, guys. That's following Tennessee and LSU. You go to Kentucky. 
I mentioned earlier, I think Kentucky's going to be a better football team this year. Alabama, we know, yes, I'm not crazy. I understand they are significantly more talented than, than Kentucky is overall. It's just a tricky spot. And I do think Kentucky's going to have a good football team this year, getting Liam Cohen back as their offense coordinator. They the best offense they've had really in Mark Stoops' entire tenure two years ago when Liam Cohen was the, was the coordinator, went back to the Rams for a year. He's back now in Lexington. I'm really curious to see what, what Devin Leary can do at quarterback. Is he actually going to be an upgrade over Will Levis, who inexplicably is going to go in the top five of this draft? And then at Auburn. Now, Bama's better than Auburn. Like, they're more talented than Auburn, but it's always a carnival funhouse of craziness for Alabama when they go to Auburn. Like, Auburn never stands a chance against Bama in Tuscaloosa. It's like ne- it's usually never even a game. But all bets are off when they go to Auburn. It's just an, always a crazy environment. Even if Bama wins, like, you know, two years ago they won. But, man, barely. It was a hell of a game, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Can you just chalk that up as a win? I Historically, I mean, at least in recent history, I would say no. So, I mean, you look at Texas, at AM, Tennessee at home, LSU at home, at Kentucky, at Auburn. That's five or six games right there, guys, that they could lose. Now, they're not going to lose all of them because they have too much talent, but they could easily lose two or three of those games. I know Bama fans want to sit here and say, you're freaking crazy, man, no way. Dude, you lost two games last year with Bryce Young. With Bryce Young. You have no Bryce Young. Really no upgrades at receiver. You have a new defense coordinator, Kevin Steele, who's a recycled defensive coordinator. Is he going to be better than Pete Golding? Maybe. You have a brand new offensive coordinator coming in from Notre Dame who's about the third or fourth choice of Nick Saban, who allegedly has basically been told, like, hey, you're not going to run the same offense you ran at Notre Dame. We've been doing this thing for a while now. It's been really successful, so you're going to adapt to what we do. And okay, I mean, sure, but... He's never done that. Like I think you say, a lot of people would say the same thing about Mike Bobo, but Mike Bobo has spent a full year in our system with Todd Munkin. That's not the case here with Tommy Reese. He's entirely new to the program with a brand new quarterback, and again, some talented wide receiver, but not difference makers like Alabama's had in the past to help out that new quarterback. Who, whether it's Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow. Did, does not inspire confidence right now. I mean, if you look at their numbers from that game, guys, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, but even just watching it, you know what I'm talking about. Milrow is 19 of 37. Simpson was 12 of 26. Now, they both did make some plays with their legs, but that's what they're going to do. But again, you've got to be able to be more proficient throwing the football. And right now, I don't know if they have the quarterback on the roster who's ready to do that. Maybe it's Eli Holstein or maybe it's Dylan Lonergan, the two freshmen they have that came in this this most recent recruiting class. Maybe, but they're freshmen in the SEC. Are they ready to be national championship caliber quarterbacks? I don't know, man. That requires a massive, massive leap of faith. But I think the problem for them... In a nutshell, at quarterback is this. Milrow is very, very toolsy, but he doesn't really know how to play that position. Uh, I mentioned Anthony Richardson earlier. I do think if Milrow ends up starting the season for Alabama, I think he will be this year's version of Anthony Richardson, a guy with incredible physical tools, arm, legs, athleticism, all of that, but just doesn't know how to play the position. So there'll be moments of brilliance that will keep you intrigued and keep you coming back for more, but Far more often than that, you'll see these WTF moments. Like, what are you doing? And he'll leave you shaking your head more often than not. I I do think watching Simpson play, I know the numbers were not good, 12-26. Watching him play, though, I feel like he's more polished right now in terms of doing the things quarterbacks have to do. If you sit there and watch that game, he showed that he could go through progressions. I mean, I sat there and rewind a couple times and Mark, okay, he's going from this progression to that progression to that progression. He was doing those types of things. But 
he is limited physically. A, a solid athlete from that position, arm talent is not really there. There was a play in particular, I want to say it was toward the end of the first half, where Jermaine Burton, it might be like the two-minute drill, Jermaine Burton was wide open in the end zone, guys. He had three or four steps on the defender. It should have been a layup touchdown. It, it was like a 35-ish yard pass, but still, it should have been a layup touchdown. Like When you are playing for Alabama and you're trying to win national championships, you have to hit that throw. You have to hit that throw. And he wasn't pressured. He wasn't getting hit while he threw the ball. He threw an absolute duck, a dead duck. And it's, maybe it wasn't even a duck because it wasn't like wobbling. Usually you call it a, a, a duck as a pass that kind of wobbles and it doesn't have the spiral. It wasn't really that. It was more so like it was just like a moonshot that had no velocity on it whatsoever. And that allowed the, the other defensive backs, the safeties, come over and make a play on the ball and break the pass up. That should have been a layup, gimme touchdown. But because of his lack of arm strength, it allowed the secondary to get back into the play and break break up what should have been an easy, easy touchdown to end that half. So offensively, I, I, I have some major concerns for Alabama. Defensively, though, I think there's a chance they could be better this year with Kevin Steele coming in. Now, it's hard to say that when you lose Will Anderson, who was the best player in the defense last year, who's going to be a, a top 10 draft pick. We'll see where he ends up landing. He should probably land in the top 10 somewhere. You lose Brian Branch, also a really good player for them in their secondary for a couple of years. But you do have some guys that, that are dynamic. Dallas Turner is a dynamic pass rusher. Um, I have some concerns about him holding up against the run consistently, especially with Will Anderson not being there in the picture. Turner will have to take on more of that role. I haven't seen him do that consistently to this point. He relies more on speed and athleticism. They, I think their secondary is very strong. I think that's the strength of their defense, maybe the strength of their entire team. Malachi Moore, Kool-Aid McKinstry, um, Moore at their star position, McKinstry at, at cornerback. Those are two really, really good players in their secondary. They are replacing their safeties, though, guys. And look, I, I am very, very high on Caleb Downs. Okay, now he is going. He's going to start for them probably this year. I wish he was in red and black. He's not. He made his choice. That's fine. He does, like, apparently doesn't want to win national championships anymore. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but he's a good player, man. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He's a very good player. He's going to start right away for them, kind of like what we saw from Malachi Starks for us last year. And he's going to have some moments where he looks like a freshman, but physically the guy, like he he fits the bill. My biggest question for Alabama defensively is, who are your dudes on the defensive line? Because think about some of these best, some of the best Alabama defenses, whether it's Quentin Williams, Ashawn Robinson, those kind of guys. Where are those dudes for Alabama? They haven't had those guys in a while, and I don't know who that guy's going to be this year. Maybe Tim Smith is the closest to that, but he's not that. He's just not. So all in all, while I do expect the defense to be very good because it's Alabama, have a lot of talent, Kevin Steele might not be the sexiest name at Demons Coordinator, but he's been around the block for a long time. He knows the Saban system. I think he'll do a good job there. I just don't know if their defense is going to take enough of a step forward to compensate for what they're losing offensively. Oh, and I got to mention this to go back to the offense real quick. I should have mentioned this earlier. So, uh, you know, you saw Bama fans beating their chest after the game online on social media about Justice Haynes. You know, of course, they want to get a shot at Georgia. Hey, we got him out of your backyard. He's a legacy recruit to Georgia, and now we got him, right? And I saw a bunch of Bama fans talking about, oh, he's better than anyone that Georgia has on our roster at running back right now. And it's like, mm, okay. Um, he's really good. I, and it, just like Caleb Downs, I'm not going to take anything away from Justice Haynes. He's a very, very good football player. He's going to be a good football player for Alabama, and he's going to make a lot of plays for them. Uh, but we also have this guy named Branson Robinson, who I think is just as good, if not potentially better than Justice Haynes. Now, what Haynes can do a little bit more proficiently right now compared to Branson is he's more of a threat receiving out of the backfield. And, and that's certainly something he brings to the table. That I'm not saying Branson cannot do. He's just not 
as proficient at that at this point in his career. But look, Justice Haynes is going to be good. Like, we're splitting hairs. Branson's awesome. Justice Haynes is awesome. But just this idea that Justice Haynes is just head and shoulders above better than anybody that we have in our on our in our running back room? No, that's just simply not true. And the numbers are kind of funny. So Bama fans beating their chest. And look, yes, again, I do think Justice Haynes will be a really good player and numbers can be very deceiving in the spring game. But this is a guy that had 24 yards on 10 carries. So he averaged, what, 2.4 yards per carry? I'm not good at math, but I can do that math. That's not exactly stellar. Um, did have a touchdown, four catches for 40 yards. So again, show what he can do on the backfield in the pass game, which is a big part of playing running back in this day and age in modern offense. But those numbers wouldn't scream out at you, right? But like he did look good out there. He's going to be a good player for them. I just don't know if he's going to be like all SEC, like like Alabama fans are convinced he's going to be as a true freshman. But let's wrap up Bama here real quick. So my, my takeaway from A-Day, and again, guys, hey, overreaction is the name of the game. We talk about spring games. This is what else we're going to do. We've got nothing else to watch. This is the only look we get at these teams for like nine months. But I, I, I like Florida. I had a take on Alabama going into A Day, and you can call it confirmation bias if you want. I will, the thing is, I'm very aware of my thoughts going into the game, so I'm I, I try to go in there with an open mind, saying, "Okay, convince me otherwise." And I just didn't get convinced. So my takeaway from that A Day game is, I do think that Bama is going to fail to win the SEC West for the second straight season, and it's been a while since that's happened, guys. So Alabama has not gone two consecutive years without winning the SEC West since 2010-2011. It's been over a decade. I think this year we'll make it two in a row. I really, really do. And a couple of reasons for that, just kind of sum up what I was talking about. Bryce Young carried that team last year, guys. He carried that offense. You saw what it was like against Texas A&M at home when he did not play. They almost lost to the worst A&M team in I don't know how long, 20 years, 30 years, long, long, long ass time, right? And why did they almost lose to AM without Bryce Young? Well, of course, they got poor quarterback play from Jalen Milrow, who, oh, by the way, is right now the guy who's leading, leading in the clubhouse to be their starter this year. Mm. But also because they didn't have enough weapons around the quarterback to mitigate for the loss of Bryce Young. They just didn't have those guys. Their offense last year was successful, and it was a good offense, but it was successful based on the pure brilliance of Bryce Young, who's about to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And crazy enough, if he is the number one overall pick, it'll be Saban's first number one pick while he's been at Alabama. That's crazy. You just would have thought somewhere along the way, one of those guys, all these guys he's put in the first round would have been the number one overall pick. No, Bryce Young would be the first if he makes that happen. But Bryce Young is gone. So if that offense is going to perform at somewhere even remotely close to a similar level from what they saw last year with Bryce Young, when you consider the drop-off in quarterback play, what that means is the talent around the quarterback has to be significantly upgraded. So I ask you again, what has Alabama added offensively to make you think that is the case? They haven't. They haven't added anything except Justice Haynes. And as he can make that much of a difference, because, you know, Jameer Gibbs is pretty damn good last year, guys. So you're basically subbing in a freshman in Justice Haynes for Jameer Gibbs. But you didn't upgrade a wide receiver. You didn't go out and add a Jamison Williams in the transfer portal. You didn't do that. You thought you did that with Jermaine Burton last year. But as I told Bama fans and anyone who would listen all last offseason, Jermaine Burton ain't that guy. And they figured that out about, well, they should have figured it out about two or three games in the season. But, you know, denial, it's a thing that the fan bases do. It took him to about maybe halfway through the season to realize, oh, yeah, well, he's um he's not that guy. Will he be improved this year with another year in the system? Sure, probably, but with a far less proficient passer at quarterback. And is he going to take that much of a leap to go from what he has been to becoming like 
a Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle type player. That requires a massive leap of faith. So no, I don't think Alabama is going to win the SEC West this year. I predicted last year, guys, that LSU in the preseason, they were my pick to beat Alabama. And, and sure enough, they did. I don't get them all right. But every now and then, I get I get one right here and there. And this year, guys, let's go to the last team here I have on my list. LSU. This is the reason why I think Bama, once again, will fail to win the SEC West. I think LSU is going to do it again in year two under Brian Kelly. And I, I don't want to spend as much time on LSU. Well, in fact, I, I can't spend as much time because I have to get out of here in a few minutes, but I got a little bit more time. So let, let's run through some quick thoughts on LSU and why I think that they are going to, once again, win the SEC West. It comes down to this for me, guys. I mean, does Alabama have more talent up and down their roster in totality than LSU? I think I would make that argument, but it's marginal. LSU still recruits at a very high level. Sure, Bama might be more talented overall, but I don't think it's it's by leaps and bounds. I still think it's very, very close. And so when the margins are as tight as that, when it comes to overall talent level, what do you do? You look to the most important positions on the field and you say, okay, who has the edge there? Who's further along there? And it, it is a landslide in LSU's favor in that regard, guys. LSU is just further along at most of those key positions. They are significantly better at quarterback. Jaden Daniels is... is Probably, almost certainly still going to start for them. But I think Garrett Nussmeyer, who is their backup, you guys know he came in and played the second half against us in the SEC Championship game and did a lot of really good things through a couple touchdown passes. You know, he played a good bit the year before in Coach O's last year. I thought he looked pretty good when he got opportunities then. He would start for Alabama right now. Right now he would start for Alabama, and he's probably not going to start for LSU. So at quarterback, which is the most important position on the field, LSU is head and shoulders above in a better position than Alabama is right now. I also think LSU's offense has more playmakers around the quarterback, guys like Malik Neighbors, who better get to know that name, guys. If you, I mean, Those of you who watch college football very closely, which I know is most of you out there, you know who Malik Neighbors is. He's not a household name throughout all of college football right now. I think that will change this year. Uh, Mason Taylor is another guy at tight end. He was a freshman last year, the son of Aaron Taylor of a former Miami Dolphins fame. That dude did some really good things catching the football last year for the LSU offense. He's a really good athlete. And he is not a Brock Bowers type. He didn't have that kind of freshman season, but he's still a really, really talented guy. And I think in year two, he's going to be an even bigger piece of their offense. So I actually had more playmakers around him. John Emery's coming back for another year at running back. Their offensive line is actually has some experience now. Guys, they started two true freshmen last year at tackle. At tackle, two true freshmen. And they still won the West last year. And those guys are both back. Now the full year starting experience, essentially, under their belt as sophomores, they will be better along the offensive line. I also think that right now, I would say that LSU, I don't know up and down their entire defense if they're more talented than Bama, but I think they have more proven difference makers. Harold Perkins might be the best pass rusher in all of college football. Dallas Turner is really good. He's not Harold Perkins. Mason Smith, who went out with an ACL tear in the first game of the year against Florida State in the Superdome, who is a was a big-time defensive lineman group, a former five-star guy coming out a couple years ago. He was in line for a big year last year. Tore his ACL week one, missed the entire season. He is back this year. So I think LSU is much better at the quarterback position. I think they have much more talent around the quarterback. I think they have much more talent in their defensive front seven. They're also not working in two brand new coordinators. LSU having to go to Tuscaloosa does give me a little bit of a pause there, 
But I, I, I really believe, you guys, I think LSU is the better football team. I think they can go into Tuscaloosa and win that football game. But even if they lose at Alabama, I think their schedule might be a little bit more manageable. There's no Tennessee. Yes, they do get Florida. They get Florida at home. They get A&M at home. Uh, they get Auburn at home. They have to go to Ole Miss and they have to go to Alabama. Those are the only two I'm looking at on the schedule right now. I'm saying like those could be tricky spots. So they have Florida State in Orlando to open the season. I know Florida State, right? That's the hype train this year. That's the runaway hype train. And they're going to be good. I just think LSU is better. I think LSU is going to win that football game. But even if they don't, that has no bearing whatsoever on the SEC West race. So even if they lose to Alabama, I think there's a world in which they run the table the rest of the way through the SEC. I also think there's a world where Alabama might lose two games. So if they lose to Bama, it would take Bama losing two games in the league. But Bama did that last year, guys. And that was with Bryce Young. So let's not act like that's entirely inconceivable. So there's my take on LSU. I've watched a couple more spring games. I'll give you some quick thoughts. Auburn, it was really tough to tell what was going on there because uh, that was like one of the first ones played. It was a torrential downpour. That was the same weekend where we had to move our second scrimmage up to Thursday because of the, of the forecast with crazy heavy rain and winds coming in. And Auburn didn't move their, their spring game and they... Um, had to play that in essentially monsoon conditions, so throwing the football was not really much of an option. Guys are slipping and sliding all over the place. It was really hard to get a feel for what that team was going to be. I really was curious to see, had Robbie Ashford start to make some strides at quarterback, going through progressions and just doing the things that quarterbacks have to do to be successful in the SEC, it was really hard to tell, again, because they just couldn't, nobody could throw the football. It was just not really something that, that could be done in, in those kind of conditions. I do think that Jarquez Hunter is going to be a good running back for them. He's been good for a couple of years, kind of playing the shadow of Tank Bigsby, but now he, as a junior, it, it's his time. Like He is their feature back. For a couple of years now, Auburn has had major issues at receiver. I think they've been one of the least talented receiver rooms for a couple of years. I don't think that's going to change dramatically this year. Javarius Johnson did some good things from the end of last year, so maybe he can be a guy that can step up and take his game to the next level. But outside of him, like, they just don't have dudes at wide receiver right now. Offensive line, they have a bunch of veterans. Um it's just so hard to tell with with the conditions in that game. I think they could be better than they have been on the offensive line in years past. Defensively, I don't know, man. I I, I don't know where their difference makers are. A lot like Florida, look at that defense. You're like, okay, I, I'm trying. To, I, again, I go into these games with open minds, guys. I'm not going into it saying like, how bad are they going to be this year? I go into the open mind. I'm actually like trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, like looking for guys. Again, I'm I'm a warrior by by trade here as a Georgia Bulldog fan. So I'm always I'm watching other teams. When I'm watching rivals, I'm looking to say, okay, who, who's the guy that's going to give us trouble? I don't know, man. Defensively, like Jalen Simpson, maybe at safety, is a solid player. Nehemiah Pritchett at times can show that he's a pretty good player. Justin Rogers is an intriguing guy. He's a dude that was recruited initially as an offensive lineman, played. We were recruiting pretty heavily a couple years back. Ends up going to Kentucky as a, as a defensive lineman, kind of play a nose guard. He's transferred to Auburn now so he might give them a little bit more of an edge on the interior of their defensive line than they've had the past couple of years but I don't really know where their edge rushers are going to come from like who were going to be those guys they lost their top two guys from last year but again it's just really it was really hard for me to get a feel for the overall talent on that roster because nobody can really move with, with those kind of conditions but those are some thoughts on, on what I saw for Auburn real quickly here Tennessee I'm not as high on Tennessee coming in this year as 
a lot of people seem to be out there. I think, I don't know if I want to say it's a consensus yet. I don't know if we're far enough in the offseason where people have really kind of talked about it too much, but I have heard a lot of talking heads out there suggest that Tennessee will be even better this year with Joe Milton at quarterback in another year in the system under under Heupel. I, ah, I'm not sure I buy that. I do think that they will be better defensively. They've got some good returning talent on that side of the ball. Offensively, I don't know how they're going to be better than they were last year. Milton is a dynamic athlete. Yes, we know what kind of arm he has. We know he's a threat with his legs. Physically, he is more physically gifted than Hinton Hooker was. But as a passer, he whenever he's got opportunities, he has been the definition of inconsistent, just erratic all over the place. He was 9-13, which... If I'm a Tennessee fan, I, I feel good about that. Like, okay, you showed a little bit more consistency in, in, in completing passes. Like, accuracy has been a major problem for him, whether it's at Michigan, whether it's when he got a chance at Tennessee to be the starter in 2021. We got a little bit when he got opportunities in 2022. But he's 9-13, but he wasn't pushing the ball down the field like, like Tennessee traditionally does under Josh Heupel. He only threw for 79 yards to throw a touchdown. Uh, the big recruit in their recruiting class, Nico Ayamaliava, I believe is how you pronounce it. I've heard it a couple different ways. Most recently, I've heard it pronounced Ayamaliava, so we're going to go with that. Um, he, you could see why people are high on him. He's still razor thin. Got a good, strong arm, though, but he was he was 50% completion percentage, 8 of 16 for 112 yards. But again, you could see the talent there. He's not ready right now. I could see a world if Milton cannot find a way early in the season to find some consistency and show that he can be accurate. You know, Tennessee fans... You know, you ask them, like, well, Joe Milton's never had any accuracy issues. That, that's just a made-up narrative. That That's something that, that the mainstream media has made up. It's like, no, dude, like, just watch games. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to spend everything. It's, it's okay to live in the real world. Joe Milton has had accuracy issues wherever he's been. That's why he transferred from Michigan, because he lost that job to Kay McNamara, who was a, I mean, in terms of physical tools, I mean, vastly inferior physically to Joe Milton. But you know what? He actually knew how to play quarterback, and he actually get the ball to his receivers. He didn't have as strong of an arm, but it doesn't matter how strong your arm is if you don't actually throw it anywhere near your receivers. That has been an issue that's plagued him his entire collegiate career, whether Tennessee fans want to admit that or not. We'll see. Maybe that has changed this year. Maybe. But that would fly in the face of everything that we've seen from Joe Milton through five years in college. And there's one thing that you can say about quarterbacks. I'm not saying you cannot become more accurate with, with time. Generally speaking, though, accuracy is not something that you're able to materially change and improve at this late stage in a quarterback's development. Like, sure, a small bit here and there marginally, but you're not going to see dramatic improvement in that regard. So I just, I'm not going to buy that until I see it. And if he does have some of those issues actually finding his receivers, I think that IMI Liava could potentially find himself in that starting job at some point in the season. Now, he's going to have to continue to progress, but I did see some good signs from him. I do think he'll be a good player for them. My biggest thing with Tennessee this year is their receivers are simply nowhere near as dynamic as what they had last year. Now, Tennessee fans, what they'll tell you is Josh Heupel, he's never had a bad offense, it's plug and play. And to a degree, that's true. I don't think they understand. They're kind of arguing against themselves. Because on one hand, Tennessee fans want you to believe that their offense is the most complicated offense in the history of the world. And they put more on their quarterback than any offense could because they don't want to admit their offense is, is like, uh, I mean, it, it is a high school offense. I mean, it's, it's a very simplistic offense. But I always find that funny. They want you to believe like this is an NFL-style offense that's super complicated. But at the same time, the same breath will tell you, oh, well, it's we lost all these 
these big time receivers, but it's okay. It's just plug and play. We lost the best quarterback we've had in a long time. It's okay. It's just plug and play because of hypo system. So you, you can't have it both ways, guys. You can't have it both ways, but that's neither here nor there. But it is a plug and play system in a lot of ways, but they had some dynamic talent at receiver last year with Hyatt and Tillman. Now Tillman did miss a lot of time last year, but he's a big time player when he was in the game. This year, they get Brew McCoy back. Brew McCoy is more of a possession receiver. He's not that dynamic vertical threat. He doesn't have that kind of speed. Ramel Keaton is a guy who's been around a while at Tennessee. He's a senior now. I think was it Marietta? I think he went to in Georgia. He's a Georgia kid. I think it was Marietta High School is where it was where he played in high school. But he's kind of been um, he's just been a utility piece for them. He's probably going to be pressed into a starting role this year. Squirrel White's a, a guy who did some good things as a freshman last year with him. He's, a, he's an undersized, small, shifty slot guy, but he's not Jalen Hyatt. He's he's not that. So I just, I don't think they're going to be as dynamic a receiver. They're also losing Darnell Wright, their best offensive lineman from last year. And like, they've been recruiting a little bit better recently, but they still don't recruit well enough. Like They're basically on like, well, a little bit better than Florida level recruiting over the past couple of years, but I'm not convinced they're just at a plug and play level right now. They get, um, they get Cooper Mays back at center, but they have some question marks there. Uh, defensively, again, I, I do think they're going to be better. You get Aaron Beasley back. Um, you get Tyler Barron back at defensive end. You get a couple guys back in the secondary. Jalen McCullough at safety is a really good player for them. So I do think there's a chance their defense is improved, but is it going to be improved enough to compensate for what I think they lost offensively? I think the answer right now is no. Now, they are still going to be good on offense because it is a system that always produces because of the way it's designed and the way it stresses defenses. It's really a product of the of the hash marks in the college game where you can have receivers with these insanely wide splits and you have these situations where the ball can be on a far hash and the defense has this massive amount of grass cover to the field and it puts a lot of stress on defenses. Well, that's why you like you don't see a system like that in the NFL because the hash marks are far more condensed. You don't have that much you don't you don't have that much space to operate in offensively. So it's a completely college based, high school based offense with those hash marks. But hey, like whatever. Like they're using the rules to their advantage and and they're they have been traditionally very difficult to stop and they'll be tough to stop offensively this year. I just don't think they'll be as tough to stop this year on the offensive side of the ball. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I think that's the only ones I've seen to this point. I have a list of the other ones I'm going to run through here over the next couple of weeks, and we'll probably touch on those a little bit over the coming weeks. We've got plenty of time here in the offseason now that spring ball is done to get to all of that, but this was fun, guys. This is fun just to sit here and talk some ball. I love doing this. I love doing this more than just about anything on earth. I know this episode wasn't Georgia-specific necessarily, but we're going to do this a little bit more often this offseason, guys, because you know there's like, there's only so much Georgia-specific content you can squeeze out of the offseason. Now, of course, it's always going to be the core of what we do here, and we're going to have Georgia football talk every single week all through the offseason, but there might be an episode here or there we branch out and we talk a little bit you know, more general SEC, maybe some general national and college football stuff, and, and kind of just have some fun with that. So we, I did I did the Never Graduate last summer. That, that podcast I got going and um, I kind of overestimated my abilities and the amount of time that I have so I just couldn't keep that going during the football season I wanted to focus all my energies and all my efforts on Georgia football but I still do just love college football in general and I have had quite a few of you reach out to me over the the past couple of months here in the offseason asked me if Never Graduate might make a return this offseason and I, I'm not going to completely rule that out I'm not going to say no out of hand here but 
I am also going to try to work some more of that like national college football content, broader SEC football content into Glory UGA so that we don't just talk about the same exact things all offseason. I mean, there's plenty of, of Georgia-specific things to talk about. We'll do all that, guys. We're going to do a couple of... We got a lot of great stuff planned. We're going to have an episode where we explain why Georgia will complete the three-peat this year. We'll do an episode where we look at the other side and, and talk about why Georgia might not be able to do that this year. We are going to bring the mailbag episodes back on a, on a more regular basis now that we're done with spring practice and we don't have to cover that as much. There's still a lot of Georgia stuff to talk about, but... Uh, after a while, after a couple of months, you kind of run out of new things to talk about. So this might be a way to keep some things fresh and also cover some more things around the world of college football, some more teams. Which Look, I know you guys, obviously, we're all Georgia fans first and foremost. But I know if you listen to this show, you're also just a fan of college football. You love this like I do. So we'll talk a little bit, a bit of that stuff on this podcast throughout the next couple of months as well, leading into the 2023 season. But uh, all right, guys, that's all I got for today. We are going to run our post-spring mailbag episode later this week. Right now, we've got a ton of questions. We're probably going to cut that into at least two different episodes. We might have enough to cut it into three. So if you still have some questions that you have not sent in, hit us up, guys. Send it to us on Twitter. It's at Glory underscore UGA. You can DM us. Just tweet us if you want to. You can email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. And we will get to – our goal is to get to every single one of them. And, hey, we got time. It's the off season, So if we don't get to it this week, we'll get to it next week. And if we have to do three episodes of, of the mailbag, four episodes, however many parts we have to do, We'll get all those questions in, guys. So send those in, and we will we will definitely get to them. And as I teased you last week, Charlie just might, maybe, who knows, we'll see, might make her long way to return to the show later on this week. But all right, guys, that officially is it for me. I'm out of here. I'm Tyler. Always appreciate you guys. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>